Let's pray. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On a scale of 1 to 10, how worried are you today? I took an independent poll this morning in my car as I drove here, and 100% of the respondents answered one, no worry. I did not respond. You know, are you a one, a five, or you just kind of a bundle of jangled nerves today with a lot of fear, a lot of worry? I read somewhere it says in America, worry has become part of our national culture. The author said you could write on countless numbers of American gravestones the epitaph, hurried, worried, buried. In fact, I I read those words, by the way, 15 years ago, back when I was still pastor here at Lord of Life. Someone has also written that the year 2013 could be the most frightening year in living memory. Whether that's going to be true or whether it is true now, I don't know. Now, even though the Bible tells us don't be anxious about anything, you see it in Philippians 4, verse 6, most of us are probably anxious about something this morning. One writer has referred, as you see, as worry is a thin stream of fear trickling through our mind. Another guy says, worry is the interest paid by those who borrow trouble. I always like that little acronym of fear, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. And surely that's a pretty good description for what fear really is all about. It's what grips the hearts of so many people around this world. But, you know, against this prevailing attitude of uncertainty in our country today, in our homes today, and perhaps even in this church today, are some words of our Lord that come from Matthew 6, where he said, Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Now, Jesus goes on a little bit further in the same chapter when he says, Do not worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Now, you all got plenty of stuff to worry about, that's for sure. So why borrow your trouble from tomorrow? Now, I don't know if I'm going to get this to move or not, but maybe you should just do it. Go to the next screen. I I just wrote down seven quick reasons why worry is such a waste. I mean, it wastes time that we could actually be spending in better ways. I'm going to say it this way. You expect from a pastor in service to the Lord, doing ministry, something for someone else in the name of Jesus. Uh, It focuses on the problem. It doesn't focus on the solution. It causes us to assume responsibility for something that God has responsibility. Do you realize that when you worry, you're really stealing responsibility from God? It paralyzes us with fear. It saps our joy. It it drains our energy. It, It keeps us sidetracked from doing what it is that God would want us to do. Now, our text today helps us at a kind of a level of personal motivation by revealing the heart of our faith. And if you go to the next screen, it begins with this, a humble evaluation. And what Paul says here is not, <clears throat> not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. Now, when I read these words, and I've read these words so many times, there's some refreshing honesty in those words. And you would think that if anybody could brag... If anybody could boast, if anybody would say, man, look what I've done, it might have been the Apostle Paul. 
but he doesn't. In spite of having met the Lord face to face, literally on the road to Damascus, in spite of having preached all the way across the Mediterranean uh, Sea, the region, and despite being called by God personally to be an apostle, and in spite of writing almost half of the New Testament, and in spite of everything that he endured, what does he do? He does not brag about anything. Doesn't say, look what I did, look what I've done. Because none of that really mattered to him. What he knows more than anything else is something I hope you know, and that's that you are a sinner saved by grace. In fact, what, what did Paul say one time? Paul said, you want to talk sinners? I'm the chief of sinners. Well, I've got to tell you something. There are some days I want to take Paul's slide over. <laughs> I'll take your spot. And you know something, that's kind of a hard fact for people to get a handle on. I mean, several times lately, I've had the opportunity to share a truth that is both simple and profound whenever we face a difficulty. Go to the next screen. Here it is. This is really pithy. It is what it is. I've gotten really deep since I've left, right? Haven't I? I just, I've told people, you know, it, 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 it is what it is. And that's not easy for us sometimes to do. I mean, some of us would rather play games with our lives and not really admit that it is what it is. We make excuses, we cover up, we pretend, we ignore the obvious, we, we, uh, we, we live in a fantasy land. But friends, you can't get better until you can finally come to grips with this reality. It is what it is. I mean, it, it, it's hard for some of us to admit that our marriages or our business, or our churches are in trouble. It's hard for some of us to admit that our career has gone off the rails. It's hard for us to admit when our dreams are smashed. It's hard for us to admit that we're broke or we're on the verge of bankruptcy. It's hard to admit that you have a problem with alcohol or some other form of drug. It's hard to admit that you've got a critical spirit. It's hard to admit to somebody that you have a problem with anger. But there's no getting better until you learn to say what? It is what it is. But, and guess what? There's always a but, isn't there? But, it's at that point, by God's grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you move on. Paul said, I haven't arrived yet. He plainly says, I have not yet obtained it. Now, I looked up a bunch of different translations. One translation said, I do not claim that I have already succeeded. Another one said, I do not consider myself to have arrived spiritually. Don't anybody here arrived spiritually? Now, we arrived by train, I know, but okay, nobody's arrived spiritually. I, I love the way the message put it. It says, I'm not saying that I have my life altogether or that I have it made. That's kind of an interesting way to look at. See, it, it's really easy for all of us, pastor included, to become what I would call a professional Christian. And a professional Christian is that kind of person who tends to look down their nose at everyone else and they say, well, I know I'm a sinner, but I thank God I'm as not as not bad as one as her or him. Uh, you know, it's easy for us sometimes because we're in church, because we consider ourselves Christ followers, to become insensitive to sin because somehow you think that you are above it. Let's look on the screen for this quote by Martin Luther, 
Martin Luther uh, once remarked that our pride is so deep within us that we need to repent of our repentance. I mean, think about that for a moment. Now, he meant that even our repenting is tinged with a certain amount of pride. Look at me. I'm honest enough to actually repent of my sins. I mean, look at me. I'm not like you anymore. I used to be that way, but look at me now. I don't cover up things. I tell it like it is. See, sin is so much in us. What does it say? We were conceived and born in sin. And if you like that, you want a fancy theological term to at least show that I know something, the word is concupiscence. We just are sin. And then you remember it said Jesus became sin to take away our sin. Now, you know, sin is so much within us that even our confessions sometimes twinge. And we're not for the grace of God. And what a, what a wonderful thing. What a thing to celebrate. The grace of God, because none of us could ever stand in front of the Lord. He is such a wonderful Savior. He is such a, a wonderful... best way to put it is, Jesus is everything we are not. Let's go to the next screen here. I, I put this on my Facebook page about a year, year or so ago. I'm not as strong or as wise as I think I am, but God is stronger and wiser than I can imagine. I was flat out amazed by how many people liked that quote. I actually put it on my Twitter account, and I was surprised how many people passed that on. Now, I kind of think people like that because uh, it expresses a truth that we sometimes can't quite bring ourselves to say out loud. Uh, you know, in our better moments, you know, if we're honest with us, we know the truth about ourselves. We're not as smart as we think we are. I mean, we're not as clever as we think we are. Uh, we are we are not as wise or as good or as strong as we think we are sometimes. But the only thing that keeps us going is what? Jesus is a wonderful Savior, and He is everything that we are not. I mean, think about it. I mean, you've learned these songs before. I am weak, but he is strong. You know, I think I'm kind of okay, but I mean, you talk about wisdom. I mean, where does the wisdom come from? Do you want wisdom? Ask. Ask who? Him. He is good. He is holy. He is righteous. He is loving. He is merciful. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Or put it another way, he is all of those things all of the time and so much more than we can actually wrap our little itty-bitty brains around. Let's go on to the next, next screen here. Uh, there's also a holy aspiration here. Paul says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now, I want you to just look at those last six words. Christ Jesus took hold of me. You know, I, I got to thinking in preparing this message that the whole Christian life can kind of be found in that little phrase. Christ Jesus found me. I didn't find him. You know, I've heard people say that. Oh, I searched and searched, finally found Jesus. I always want to say, was he lost? Uh, Christ Jesus saved me. I didn't do anything to save myself. You want a little bit more Luther? I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or, or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. Enlightened me with this gift. Sanctified. He's the one who did it. 
Christ Jesus has put a purpose in my life. He has put a purpose in your life. And guess what? The supreme purpose of my life and your life is to find out what his purpose is for your life or my life. Did you get that? <laughs> yeah, I think about it a while. Okay. It takes a lifetime. It takes hard work. It takes concentration. It takes progressive growth. We never arrive. It's, it's a progressive growth in the grace of God, and it develops character within us over time. I mean, it is a lifetime of being discipled, and it's a lifetime of learning how to disciple other people. That's how it comes. Next screen here. It also leads to a hearty determination. And he says, but one thing I do... Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Now, if you were to look at this text in the original language in Greek in which the New Testament was written, you're going to find a, a, a pretty intensive set of words here. And the intensive set of words are, one thing I do. And it's kind of a fierce concentration in those words. One thing I do. And I would suggest to you, I'm probably not telling you anything you don't know already, but the secret to excel in any area of life is what? This one thing I do. Not these 20 things I do. Not these 35 things I do. Uh, my gosh, some people's calendars. I tell you, it's no different than people who live in the Fox Valley and people who live in East Texas. Sometimes I look at their, their calendars and I'm like, how do you do that? Well, because these 20 things I got to do. Some churches are the same way. You can look at their worship folders or whatever, and it's just like, boop, 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 boop. You know, one thing after another to do. That's what I, maybe some of you remember this. I said one time here, what we need to do is not have so many to-do lists, but maybe we need a few to-don't lists. Well, sometimes, you know, it, it ends up that we do so many things that we never get around to doing the one thing. Now, the question is, what is that one thing? Glad you asked. I'll tell you in a little bit. Now, uh, you know, I, I think about artists. One, one th you know, if I want to be a great artist, one thing I do. If I'm going to be a, a gifted teacher, one thing I do. Uh, if I'm going to be a championship athlete, one thing I do. Uh, a single parent who's raising a child, one thing I, I, I do. Uh, a church that desires to be a missional church, you know, must learn to say, you know, this one thing, this one thing more than anything else is what we're going to do. In Paul's case, it meant looking towards that heavenly prize that God has called him towards. It, it's, it's what happens when that one thing is, when we accomplish that, that we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, most of us sometimes, I think, sometimes would rather say, you know, many things I do. And it would be true because we are such a fragmented people in this world today. I mean, I succumb to that the same thing. I mean, it's not like if I'm really busy, I must be, you know, doing well. And sometimes what happens, you know, as a pastor, I mean, somebody, somebody asked me, you know, like, why would you retire from being a pastor? Some of you may understand this, some of you won't. I said, it's because sometimes being a pastor gets in the way of doing ministry. Now, that's not to denigrate being a pastor at all. Wonderful profession. Been in it for 30 years. But sometimes it just meant all of this, all of the many things you do, you were really not doing, building those bridges that Jesus can cross over. Ministry. 
Now, maybe that's why all of us need to look in the mirror. I know that's not the most popular thing to do in the morning, but look in the mirror and say, do you know what you're doing? You know, we're all good at making lists. I can make a list as long as my arm, um, and I sometimes feel like my list is equals my life, or I can think as long as I've actually got a list, I've got a life. But, you know, a list without a purpose, guess what? It's just a list. Uh, it, it keeps me busy, at least it, make, it keeps me looking busy. But what good is it without this one thing? This one thing. Well, Paul is going to clarify what this one thing is. Let's go to the next screen. He said, here it is. The first thing he said is forgetting what is behind. Charles Flood wrote a book called Lee, The Last Years. He tells a story about after the Civil War when General Robert E. Lee visited a woman who showed him the remains of this grand old oak tree that sat in front of the plantation. And there she stood and she just cried bitterly uh, over the fact that the Union Army had knocked off the limbs and scarred the trunk and basically destroyed it with artillery fire. And she waited for Lee to condemn the North, or at least sympathize with her loss. And he just looked at her and said, Cut it down, dear lady, and forget it. Cut it down, forget it. I think that's kind of a good word for us, too. You know, but what, you might ask, are we to forget? Well, how about forgetting our worries? Put them aside. You got any worries today? Drop them off here at the altar before you leave. Come back next Sunday. If they're still there, I guess they're still yours. I, I guarantee they won't be there. Uh, how about uh, forgetting our fears? How about forgetting our failures? How about even forgetting our victories? Our defeats? Or forget the attacks from the enemies? Or forget even sometimes the praise of our friends. What we really need is holy amnesia. We need to learn how to lay aside even the accomplishments of the past years, our claim to fame, our name in the lights, the good things that we think we've done, the stuff we do to make the world glad that we actually got out of bed in the morning, you know, things we brag about, our medals, our honors, whatever. It's kind of like old coaches like me, you know, used to say, you know, last year means what? Nothing. I mean, last year means nothing. Whatever happened last year, let it go. Because as long as we're always doing this, looking back, looking back, we can't move forward. And I might add that looking back is bad, and then some people who navel-gaze all the time, it's just as bad. The second thing he says is pressing on to what lies ahead. I'm sure you've heard of uh, David Livingston, famed missionary. Uh, he returned from Africa to England, and he was asked, where are you ready to go next? He said, I am ready to go anywhere, provided it be forward. Now, I'm going to just pause for a moment, and I'm going to tell you that I am not retiring. Don't go around telling people I'm retiring. I've never been a retiring person. I choose the word reposition. I am repositioning myself in ministry. 
That's what it has to be. You know, retire is what you do at night. Reenlist is what you do in the morning. When I got up this morning, I reenlisted. Here I am. You know, that must be the attitude of every child of God every single day. But so many of us kind of get up in the morning and say, God, I got, I got so much stuff on my mind. I'm so busy doing all this stuff. Could you just please initial it on the bottom so I can get at it? But that's not how it works. I mean, when people ask about the secret of doing God's will, I often tell them, um, press on. It begins in the morning when you say, Lord, help me take the next step forward with you today. Now, I'm a football fan, too. and I saw a football game last year in which a very key play towards the end of the game involved a runner stretching that football out as far as he could, trying to reach the goal. But the question was whether that ball actually broke the plane and it was a touchdown or not. Now, at first it was hard to tell because you had about 22 guys all piled up and like one arm sticking out. But after this replay, what did they discover? That by a matter of inches, that ball had crossed the line. And and that's kind of, you know, that's the effort of football, but that's also the effort of the Christian life. Well, here's our last point, number four. Uh, Next screen. Uh, There's a heavenly inclination. What does Paul say here in verse 14? He said, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. See, in the spiritual life, direction makes all the difference. I mean, true believers aren't in heaven, even though we know that as Christ follows, we can experience a taste of heaven here on earth. But you aim your steps in the correct direction. I mean, that's why I always say, you know, what is repentance? Repentance is changing your mind, but then it comes to changing your direction. I mean, I really don't care often about how fast people are moving on the discipleship track, provided their feet are at least going in the right direction. They may not be taking giant strides. They may be just taking little itty-bitty baby steps. Some of them are sprinting, but at least their feet are in the right direction. In 1905, there was a young man who desired to be a missionary, and he wanted to go to India. And uh, he volunteered there. Uh, He just said, this is what my purpose is from God. And God gripped his heart, and he headed there, but he never made it. He died of a disease on the trip over. Now, after he died, if you go to the next screen, they found this inside his Bible, a little inscription that said, no no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Now, I have no doubt that, you know, at my age, I don't know how many more years God is going to give me, but uh, I, I never want to be a person that says, oh man, I had so much left to give. Uh, I, I want to be running on empty at the end. I want to be going out on fumes. I want to be like Elijah. Go out like Elijah. Uh, you know, it's, it's the same thing. To have no regrets of like, man, I wish I'd have done it. I wish, I wish, you know, like that. And at the same time, and, and no regrets. I mean, even Paul, even Paul could say, you know, I gave it all I did. I gave it all I had. Now, Paul said, I haven't arrived yet, but I'm still climbing. If he were here today, he'd say, folks, I don't know what situation you're in. But don't look back. Keep pressing on. 
Keep pressing on towards that prize in heaven. You know, it's not always easy to start well, uh, but you have to end well. Uh, Someone has commented that the chief problem in the churches in America today is that we have too many amateur Christians. And and amateur Christians are kind of like the guy who jumped on his horse and then rode furiously in all directions. You have to think about that one for a while. Uh, maybe another maybe another way of putting it is that uh, there are a lot of busy Christians, but not enough discipled Christians. And, and I'm here to tell you, the point but no church and no individual will ever be truly missional without constant and consistent biblical discipleship. Now let me pose three questions to you in closing. What is the goal of your life? And what is the goal of this church? Why do you get up on a Sunday morning and come here? Why do we unlock this building on a Sunday morning? And why are you still here? Now, no one can say for certainty what the year 2014 will bring, should it actually happen. Uh, No one really knows what's going to happen in the next five months of this year. But that thought should not alarm us. I mean, to all of our worries, what does Jesus say? Fear not. You know how many times that's in the Bible? Fear not. Fear not. Will things get worse? Fear not. Will I lose my health? Fear not. Will I get cancer? Fear not. Will I keep my job? Fear not. Will my loved ones undergo some hardship? Fear not. Will all my investments collapse? Fear not. Will tragedy strike somebody in my family? Fear not. Will my children disappoint me? Yeah. (laughs) But fear not. (laughs) Will other people ridicule and mock my faith? If you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, they will. But guess what? Fear not. Will my cherished plans come to nothing? Fear not. Will my dreams turn to ashes? Fear not. Will I die this year? Fear not. See, friends, we, of all people, Christ followers, disciples of Jesus the Messiah, ought to be optimistic as we face whatever lies ahead of us. We have a great future. Why? Because we got a great God. So chin up. Someone said, get your face out of the soup. Or on this next screen, something I like to tell a lot of people, build a bridge and get over it already. See, when we look at the world today, there are many reasons for all of us to be concerned. There's no doubt about it. But is it, is it any worse for us today than it was for Paul in the first century when he was, when that world was being controlled by a pagan Christian whose values were far from being Christian? In spite of all of that, Paul still found many reasons to press on for Jesus. After nearly 48 years in the ministry, I don't know a lot, but there are a few things that I know, and I think I know them pretty well. I know we're all going to have hard times. 
But what I also know is that overriding any hard time we would ever have is that promise of God who says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. So lift up your heads. Smile. Be of good cheer. The Lord's with you. Last comment. Fear not. Don't look back. Keep pressing on. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the uh, challenge of our word because sometimes we get so bogged down with life that we, we can often forget the one thing that's important, that heavenly call which you've given us. And so, Lord, we pray that you continue to stir our hearts by the Holy Spirit, that we might continue to move forward in this life. In Jesus' name, amen.